Oat. Oh, yeah, for who? Are we going live? Is that... Truth brought to you by Progress Kentucky. Uh, my name is Aaron Viles. I am very excited to be with you after a, a short one week break uh, where we did not bring you Kernels of Truth. I'm sure you're all very, very sad. Didn't know where to go to hear Kentucky political news, the progressive focus. Uh, but we are back and we are focusing this week uh, primarily focused on the May 17th primary elections that are happening across Kentucky. Uh, in that vein, we've got a special campaign corner with Dave Newton, who's the co-organizing director of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, to describe some important tools they've developed to help engage voters. Uh, then we're going to bring on three candidates for Lexington City Council at large, uh, Dan Wu, Arnold Farr, and James Brown. Uh, and then we're going to close out with our action and events calendar with an eye on how you can get involved with the upcoming election. So uh, should be a pretty good show. I'm biased, but I think it'll be a good show. Uh, but before we get into it, are you ready to help turn Kentucky purple? Uh, we know that our Commonwealth has some work to do if we're going to beat back the red wave of bad politics and policy that come from the GOP supermajority in Frankfurt, uh, from making abortion illegal to stopping all regulation of energy companies and utilities. We, uh, we're going to need your help if we're going to do anything about it. If you want a Commonwealth that works for all of us, please join Progress Kentucky. We make it pretty simple. Just follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and wherever you spend time on social media. Just make sure to like and share and comment on our content. Uh, if you like what you're hearing on Kernels of Truth, give us a thumbs up. Or if you're living, uh, listening as a, a podcast, you can review us uh, and share the show. All stuff very, very valuable as we try to get the word out, build a more progressive information ecosystem in the great Commonwealth of Kentucky. So let's go ahead and check in with our co-host, uh and let me know who you are where you are and what does your protest sign say today uh and you there in the internet on the internet if you want to put your protest sign in the chat that would be awesome uh i'm aaron as i said i'm coming to you from uh childsburg uh in lexington uh, my sign says your vote is your voice use it or lose it uh and i'm gonna now turn to my dear friend kimberly Hi, Aaron. Hi, everybody. It has been so wonderful, and we are still here in Louisville recovering from Derby. And yes, I am here in Louisville, Kentucky, but I've been out in the hot sun all day getting candidates elected. The GOTV is out for real. So my sign just simply says today, if you don't vote, 
don't gripe. And you all know that you like to gripe. So get out there and vote. All right, we'll turn to our friend Doug. What do you got for us? Uh, yeah, my protest sign. I, first, I'll mention that I'm from Harrison County. Now, as always, I do have an announcement uh, from our local chamber. The Cynthiana Summer Concert Series kicks off this Friday at the Courthouse Square, and the weather's going to be amazing. Friday the 13th, starting at 6 p.m., lots of fun, activities, food, and music. My protest sign just basically says, vote. That's a good one. People should, people should do it. They should vote. All right. So, uh, Doug, I just wanted to see and check in with you about the state of that uh, Cynthiana Chamber of Commerce check. Where is that? When is that coming? I feel like the amount of free advertising that you've given to the Cynthiana Chamber of Commerce <laughs> is significant. And I want to know, uh, yeah, when uh, when are we getting paid? Well, you know, as a member of the chamber, it's something I can bring to the attention of the board. And uh, so I'll, I'll update you on that as I uh, have more information. You're a member of the chamber? Yes. What clubs aren't you a member of, Doug? It is amazing. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, excited to get into this. I think actually we're going to do news of the week right now. And we are going to start with, uh, I don't know if we've got it ready, but we could do this as a Doug Price is Right, uh, because this is a little bit out of keeping with the rest of the show's content, uh, but it, I think it's a really important one, uh, and I'm excited to have Doug tell us all about it. Uh, and I wanted to see, oh, look, we've got it. We have it. So yeah, we're going to do a little bit of a Doug Price is Right right now. <music> All right. What have you got, Doug? All right. Welcome to another edition of Doug Price is Right. I think Kentucky Republican legislators may have found something that is worse for our climate than coal mining, and that is crypto mining. Crypto uses more electricity and provides less overall income for our Commonwealth than any other venture in the, in, in the world. Kentucky decided to support the industry big time in 2021 when House Bill 230 was passed along party lines to offer financial benefits to companies to open crypto operations in the Commonwealth. The bill's primary sponsors were Stephen Rudy and Chris Freeland, both representing parts of McCracken County, and Patrick Flannery, who represents parts of Boyd County. Freeland also represents Marshall County, where a couple of mining operations have taken advantage of cheap electricity in Kentucky and, of course, tax incentives. From all appearances, the largest operation is in McCracken County, again, the home of a couple of Republican legislators who sponsored the bill to provide tax breaks and that sort of thing. The owners appear to be from Chicago, and their company is based in Delaware. It is estimated that the McCracken County operation will generate 10 to 12 jobs, and the company has stated it wants to generate up to 100 megawatts to its site, an amount that could power tens of thousands of homes. Essentially, the revenue generated will not be spent in Kentucky. 
According to a report that was recently submitted to the EPA, there are other mining operations in Belfry and Martin County and several smaller gas to crypto operations in Eastern Kentucky. All of this without any regulations related to environmental concerns or noise factors. And apparently the operations generate a constant hum that can be heard outside of the facility. The bill passed pretty much along party lines, 82 to 15 in the House and 29 to 7 in the Senate. I predict there will be bills passed in the near future that will attempt to claw back what happened in 2021. Will legislators reflect on the damage done or pass the blame? Recently, CNN reported there is a 50-50 chance that the planet will pass the 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold in the next five years. Does it seem like Kentucky is tops in some of the wrong categories? Kentucky has the fifth highest child poverty rate, is the 10th worst state to live in, according to a poll. It has the 15th highest obesity rate, and Kentucky has the highest cancer morbidity rate. Well, folks, according to the EPA doc, Kentucky is home to nearly 20% of the collective computing power of the country's proof-of-work cryptocurrency mining operations. Kentucky produces more carbon dioxide pollution from cryptocurrency mining than any other U.S. state and has the second highest carbon intensity for crypto mining of any state. China suspended crypto operations due to capital flight. I believe Kentucky might take this into consideration. Income generated from crypto facilities certainly benefit, benefits out-of-state owners. Proctors Kentucky recently signed on to a letter to the EPA providing comments in response to a request for information regarding the energy and client implications of digital assets. While Kentucky residents must bear with the noise pollution, air pollution, water pollution, and increased electricity rates from cryptocurrency mining, the profits do not remain in Kentucky. There's a recent article examining the impacts of cryptocurrency mining in Kentucky described some see echoes of what they say were the worst elements of a now largely defunct coal industry. Out-of-state money, absentee owners, and huge fortunes made with little wealth trickling down to local communities. Despite this, the Kentucky state government in a race to the bottom has offered enormous tax incentives to this new industry which have been estimated to cost Kentucky taxpayers about $9 million a year in lost tax revenue, despite the few local jobs and profits flowing out of state to increasingly centralized mining operations owners. These tax incentives include tax exemptions totaling 9% on electricity consumed at larger cryptocurrency mining operation, sales tax refunds on mining equipment, as well as potential incentives on income taxes and wage assessments. The Kentucky Center for Economic Policy recently argued that incentivizing the industry so heavily is a poor use of government funds because, among other reasons, it creates little local work. It's going to be interesting to hear the rhetoric when lawmakers realize the mistake they have made. 
Lastly, I want to say this. When I was researching the word crypto, I came across the word cryptosporidium. The definition, an infection caused by cryptosporidium parasites. I think perhaps the term could apply to crypto mining. Care to guess who were the parasites? Back to you, Aaron. All right. Uh, thank you, Doug Price, for coming correct with the cryptocurrency story. So, yeah, that is one that's been kind of percolating and popping up and uh, not shocking to learn that the Republican GOP supermajority leaned right on in and say, like, oh, more mining in Kentucky? Sure. Uh, oh, we are considering the environmental impacts whatsoever. That seems perfect. Uh, and it, it is a little bit disconcerting. Uh, glad to hear, though, that the Biden administration is actually analyzing the uh, climate change impacts of cryptocurrency. Uh, really interesting to see that like China has actually stopped it. So when China is stopping it because you know they're they're concerned about the impacts of it, uh, it's you know a little bit frightening to think that we're following you know uh, in their um, you know are, are slow to follow. Uh, China doesn't have the best you know track record uh, for environmental protection. At least that's the the impression that we're always given by Republicans. Uh, so, so I do think that it's really, uh, it's good that you've raised this issue, Doug. I know that we have recently signed on to some comments that the Kentucky Conservation uh, Committee is going to be um, sharing with the Biden administration about the impacts here in Kentucky. And I think that's wholly appropriate. So thanks for, for, for going deep on crypto mining for us. All right. So that was Doug Price's right now. We're going to get into uh, our election spectacular. So yeah, we've got an election. It's happening. Uh, it is, uh, in fact, maybe happening now, depending on when you're listening to this. So we're live right now. It's Wednesday evening. Early voting starts uh, starts tomorrow. So all across the state, you can vote early. Each county will have a specified location that you can go to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday uh, to uh, to you know vote early. And then the election day is actually Tuesday. Uh, so that in that case, you'll go to your normal precinct location uh, to to cast your ballot. And there's just a range of different offices that are that are. Uh, being decided. Of course, it's a primary election. So, you know, you'll be picking among Republicans if you're a Republican, which maybe there are some listeners, uh, but you'll be looking at Democrats uh, if you're a Democrat or some nonpartisan races. There's plenty of nonpartisan races that you'll be deciding on. Uh, so, you know, do your research. We're going to bring on uh, in a few minutes uh, uh, Dave Newton from Kentuckians for the Commonwealth to talk about some tools they've got to help you figure that stuff out. Uh, what I've, uh, what I used, what I found pretty useful uh, was IWillVote.com. Uh, if you if you go to that website, you'll they'll figure out kind of, you know what what precinct you're in, what's on your ballot, uh, tell you where to go, what the hours are, uh, all that kind of stuff. So remember, yeah, you know, we had uh, I found it useful IWillVote.com to give you some of that information that you need. Uh, there's I'm sure other tools out there as well. One thing I would say is that you know. We've only got three days of early voting, uh, but these are no excuse uh, early voting, right? So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be out of 
the county on election day to uh, to vote early. It just might be more convenient for you. Uh, although I will say, at least in Fayette County, the hours aren't great. Uh, I think it closes down by, at 4.30, uh, the, uh, the, the, the voting that's going to be at Kroger Field. Uh, you need to get that done Thursday or Friday by 4.30. Uh, and I will pull up the hours for Saturday as well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty important election, uh, at least in uh, Fayette County. Uh, the, the Fayette County attorney position, and folks remember, we had Angela Evans on uh, a few weeks back. Uh, so that's an interesting race because Angela is running against the incumbent, who's also uh, a Democrat. So you'll be the primary is the election. So uh, I think it's, it's Larry Roberts versus uh, Angela Evans there for that primary. And whoever wins the primary, because there is no Republican candidate, will be the Fayette County attorney. So uh, definitely that's uh, a race people are watching really closely. Uh, obviously, it's also the, the top of the ticket in November is going to be the Senate race. Uh, Rand Paul versus who knows? Uh, Rand Paul's the incumbent. I know, I know who he's going to be running against. He's going to be running against Charles Booker because there are other people on the ballot. There's, you know, Republican names you've never heard of on the ballot, and there's Democratic names you've never heard of on the ballot. But I think it's a pretty, you know, if I was a betting betting man, it was a not, not 81, 80 to one odds, right? That's we are going to see uh, Rand Paul versus Charles Booker in November. But you know, got to get out there and vote uh, in the primary too because there are really important close races where your your vote's really going to make a big difference. Um, and then. There's going to be also primaries for, you know, your your congressional district. So in Fayette County, uh, we're in congressional district six. Andy Barr uh, is, of course, the incumbent. Uh, there are a number of folks running against him, uh, both on the Republican side and the Democratic side. Uh, some people are saying that uh, Andy Barr is not conservative enough and that he didn't do enough to fight for Trump <laughs> for the through the big lie. So there's a candidate if you want somebody who's fully drinking the MAGA conspiracy water, you can go ahead and vote for that guy if you're a Republican. But in the Democratic side, we've had Chris Priest on this show in the past. Uh, there, I will say that Chris Priest is a well-intentioned, thoughtful individual who would, I think, do a much better job for us in Fayette County uh, than Andy Barr. Uh, is an uphill fight. Uh, and he's also got Jeff Young, who might have more name recognition because Jeff Young's run for office about a million and a half times here in Fayette County, you probably read his name on a ballot. Uh, Jeff Young, he's an interesting character. I believe there was a uh, restraining order against him at the local Democratic Party because he brought a gun to a meeting at one point, it's my understanding. Uh, so it does seem like maybe not the most stable individual uh, to be representing uh, Fayette County or even to go up against Andy Barr. So at any rate, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the ballot. I don't know, Kimberly, I know you've been uh, out and about, very engaged. What are you looking at in uh, in Louisville? What's on your ballot that you're very interested in? Um, everybody here in Jefferson County is very, very interested. And I just don't know who's going to win the mayoral uh, race uh, here. Uh, pretty much they say that the front runner uh, on the Democratic side would be uh, what they call someone who might be more established, and that would be David Nicholson. And then a newcomer that has um, garnered most of the money in fundraising and also had an incident where a young man tried to shoot him 
in his office, and that's Craig Greenberg. And a lot of people are saying on the GOP side that it will be Bill Duraf, which a lot of people like Bill. He was the Jefferson Town uh, mayor for many years, and even Democrats like him. So it's going to be a like a woo-woo on who is going to win uh, their prospective primaries. Also, along in this race, uh, Congressman John Yarmuth has retired, as we well know. This is his last term. So we've got some people up, like Morgan McGarvey, who's already our um, minority Senate uh, leader. And then we've got Attica Scott, who is a, a state representative also. And there's some others as well. But uh, it is very exciting. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people being very energized uh, by these races that we have here in Jefferson County. Uh, excellent. Yeah, it definitely seems like at least, you know, the, so uh, despite Kentucky being a deeply red uh, state, we have at least one fairly bankable a uh, Democrat representing us in Washington, D.C. That's, of course, John Yarmouth's historic district. And now as he's retiring, all eyes on that primary to see if uh, Morgan McGarvey or Attica Scott will pull it out. What's your uh, what's your prediction, Kimberly? How's How do you think that's hap how's how do you think that uh, race is looking? Uh, I mm, it's mm, hmm. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say. Uh, without getting myself into any kind of trouble here, um, it seems like Morgan McGarvey is the front runner. However, there are just a lot of people also, especially uh, white women that have told me that they're going to be voting for uh, Attica Scott. However, people really like Morgan because they're saying to me that Morgan hasn't changed uh, just because he's running for office. A lot of people are telling me that Morgan is always out there with the people. He's always having fun with the constituency. And so it's just like when Morgan's out here uh, painting, people are telling me it's just like any other day for Morgan. Yeah, I think, you know, can't go wrong with those options, right? I think, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches there. I think you've got a couple of wonderful candidates and I will definitely be watching closely to see what happens. Uh, all right. And then Doug, anything you're looking at the, uh, the Harrison County ballot? What, uh, what's anything contested that you're paying attention to? You're muted. All right. Somebody has to do it, right? Might Somebody. as well be me. Yeah. Um, our representative has been moved to another district through the redistricting process, put him closer to Savannah Maddox. And I think he really, he probably really likes that. Um, and we have uh, Megan Brannon, who's running against William Lawrence. Uh, Megan is a Democrat. William Lawrence is a Republican. And of course we're watching that race. Uh, I know who I'm going to be voting for. And um, um, I'm hopeful that, that Megan wins. I think she'll do a really great job. And I've heard some negative things about Mr. Lawrence, and, but I don't really know him. So, um, but I will be pulling for, for Megan. All right. Sounds good. Uh, all right. And I think we're going to move on now. Kimberly has, a, has at least one story that, we, uh, that she wants to share 
and then uh, before we get to our guest, uh, our campaign corner guest, Dave Newton, uh, and then, of course, our uh, roundtable with the at-large candidates. So a uh, couple important things to get to. But I know, Kimberly, we got to cover at least one story out of the Kentucky Derby, right? We're not a sports podcast, but there's, you know, there's some political news that happened around the Derby. What do you got for us? I mean, uh, Kentucky Derby is very political, whether people do realize that or not. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, I like to start off by saying that the horse that won the 148th Kentucky Derby, Rich Strike, and it was 80 to 1. So if you put your money on Rich Strike, which he paid for every $2 you gave, he paid one hundred and. You came away with some money, but uh, people were just a little bit scared, I could say, because as soon as he won, he was trying to eat the other lead pony and he got punched <laughs> in the face continuously. So it's been on today's show. It's internationally that they're getting on the guy that did it. But he did his job. Uh, anytime a horse does something of that nature, they do get socked in the face. Uh, just so everybody knows. So don't look at him like he did something. Rich Strike, I guess he was just so ecstatic and happy that he was a little hungry right after the race. Also, how about your favorite person? We haven't talked about him for a little bit. Trump. Yes, Trump came to the Kentucky Derby. And you could have seen Trump for $75,000 a person and guess what Aaron yes he arrived late like if you're paying $75,000 to come see somebody you would expect that they would be on time but no Trump was being his originated self and he was late to his own $75,000 uh, person event so what did the people get for $75,000 let me tell you, they didn't get any food. They got a picture with the former so-called president. Uh, I just want to tell you just one other thing, just really, really quickly, um, that in addition to that, uh, the British news outlets have also reported that you know, the fans were not delighted to see Trump to come in. There was a lot of booing and bird flipping alongside the very, very low cheers uh, when he arrived. So um, there's a lot of other things going on as well in Kentucky, but I'm just going to keep it right there to give you all a little rundown on the Kentucky Derby. And yes, I was out and about and I went to a gala. Yes, and I looked absolutely a doll. And I had my eyelashes and everything on because... I was right there as the MC for a gala that Jeffrey Osborne, and I know you all remember the wings of love on the wings of love. Where is Nate when I need him? Uh, so he was the <laughs> musical guest. And then we had a good time uh, just going here and there and just being a regular person enjoying the Derby this year, other than going to all these other spectacular events. I just let everyone else do it. And we had a good time here in Louisville. Uh, low crime, only one murder. We did pretty good this year. Back to you, Aaron. Uh, all right. Just, just the one murder. That's good. I, I, I did love the story that hearing, hearing that he was, he got some booze and that people were in fact flipping him off. So some people had a few, 
you know, mint juleps clearly before uh, Trump showed up uh, late to his $75,000 person fundraiser. You know, $75,000, it won't buy you class, apparently. Anyway, really good to hear that rundown. Uh, and I guess since you're still here with us, you didn't make that bet uh, on Rich Strike because, uh, oh, my gosh, what a payout. Uh, all right. We're going to get back to the elections again. We're all about the elections. This is primarily about the primary, this show. Uh, and we're going to bring on Dave Newton, who is the organizing co-director for Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Uh, of course, just a fantastic organization that anyone who's, you know, concerned about uh, a more representative government uh, and, you know, seeing their important issues addressed, uh, they, you know, about Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. So uh, they do a lot of work around the elections. I want to bring Dave on to, to share some of the tools uh, that he has uh, that they've developed to keep people informed, engaged uh, and available to, you know, get involved with the election. So, Dave, are you here? I am indeed. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's uh, really great to be here with y'all. Um, uh, so yeah, the, what I'm going to share just really briefly here is our website, KentuckyElection.org. Um, it's something that I bet uh, some of y'all are, are familiar with already. I'm going to screen share here just a second. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. One moment. Sure thing. KentuckyElection.org, and we can yeah. make sure drop that in the chat so people can uh, see it and click on it. That sounds good to me. Huh, nice. I'm actually not seeing it as one of my options this time. Let's see. I'll just the do the button away. Thing. Yeah, well, I've got it just, uh, just not... Uh, I'll just share the entire screen, and hopefully it won't be too Inception-y or weird. Um, <laughs> so cool. Um, do, 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 do. Our voter guide, uh, folks able to see that? Yep, looks great. Yes. Awesome. So, um, so KentuckyElection.org is the website, um, and you can check this out. It's uh, it's a great thing to share with your friends who might be um, uh, maybe just a little less tuned in than y'all. But uh, the big thing that I'm sure you know is um, upcoming primary elections. Um, uh, polling, uh, voting starts tomorrow, uh, also Friday and Saturday. And a lot of folks might not know their early voting location, so they can click here, uh, check their county, find the time, find the location, etc. Um, all kinds of other great resources over here from upcoming KFTC events, checking your registration status, your rights and responsibilities as a voter, etc. But maybe the most important feature is over here on my left. You can type in your address, um, name, etc. And you can see what will be on your ballot in particular, and in many cases where candidates stand on a range of issues. So we sent surveys to um, all the state legislative candidates, all the congressional candidates, all the Senate candidates, and some of the local folks as well. So you can see word for word their stance on a number of things, or you can see that they failed to respond, which is valuable information in itself. Um, and you can kind of build your ballot um, before you go in on election day. Um, finally, at the bottom here, um, uh, you can find information for folks with felonies in their past. Uh, about 200,000 people got the right to vote back uh, through Governor Bashir's executive order, but uh, in a lot, about 200,000 people have not gotten the right to vote back yet. And, um, and many people, um, most people were not notified if they got the right to vote back. So they can check here, civilrightsrestoration.ky.gov. Um, many folks you might run into might say, hey, I can't vote. 
um, because I've got you know this felony in my past from from 30 years ago. And you might be able to say, well, I, I, actually, a lot of people got the right to vote back. I, I can help you figure out if you're one of them, if you'd like. Um, so yeah, KentuckyElection.org. Feel free to shamelessly share it around. Um, uh, and it's one of the tools in the toolbox. I like it. I like the fact that you can build your own ballot and see like all those down ticket races. I don't think it, I used it. I looked at what was, you know, what was going to be on my ballot. Uh, yeah. So I could do a little bit more research. Uh, like what is this? What is this office and why yeah. am I electing it? Yeah. Uh, not, not dog catcher, but it seemed like just about everything else. Yeah. Soil and water conservation districts and um, magistrates in some cases. Yeah. Um, gives, gives you a little option. Uh, gives, gives you a little lead time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is great, Dave. Uh, we'll make sure, to, as I said, it should be in the comments right now so people can click on it. Uh, and anything, you know, anything else you want to let us know about about KentuckyElection.org? Um, nothing comes to mind. I just really appreciate the um, the time with y'all and, and all that y'all do. And if you need anything, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much. Not you. I'm not thanking you, hush. Uh, but yeah, we're going to move on now to our uh, roundtable for our at-large candidates uh, and a uh, really exciting opportunity because, you know, it's one of the, the big things we'll be deciding here at Fayette County uh, is who will go on to be on the, uh, the, the, the ballot in the general election in November. Uh, but we're really excited to bring you three candidates for this, this one of these top races, really. Uh, so I would characterize these folks. They can, they can challenge me if they'd like to characterize them as maybe the more progressive folks who, who are, who are running right now, uh, folks who, uh, are, you know, we've interacted with in the past friends of progress, Kentucky, actually there are a couple of faces, uh, that you might recognize from previous episodes. Uh, we have got Arnold, Dr. Arnold Farr, and uh, we've got Dan Wu and current, uh, first district city council member, James Brown. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to give each individual uh, in that order uh, 90 seconds to just introduce themselves. Who are they and why do they want to be uh, an at-large representative for uh, for Lexington City Council? And then we got a few uh, few questions we're going to ask folks. So let's go ahead and start uh, with uh, Dr. Farr. Hello, everybody. And thank you for having us. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here. My name is Arnold Farr, and I'm um, I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky. Um, I spent my entire adult life fighting for social justice and trying to represent and fight for the marginalized members of our community, trying to make sure that everyone has a voice and a place at the table when decisions are made that impact their lives. So I, I think that's who I am in terms of, of, of my life's commitment um, as an advocate for the least of these. Uh, why am I running? I'm running because I want an opportunity to make a difference from the inside. I want to make an a difference for people within the walls of city government. And I think within a city council at large, um, I'll be in a place to make sure voices that have hitherto been marginalized are brought to the table when decisions are made about their lives. What do I hope to accomplish if I um, win this race and become a city council member at large I want to help Lexington properly grow into the future. Lexington is growing at a very rapid rate. Um, it has been projected that by the year 2025, we will have a total of uh, 40,000 new citizens in Lexington. And we're growing and we have to grow smartly. And as we grow, I wanna make sure that no one is left behind. I wanna make sure that all 
um, members of our community have the resources they need for self-development and self-determination. Uh, I want to strengthen our um, mental health profession. I think we need more mental health professionals in the city. Uh, we have a mental health crisis that needs to be addressed. I want to end homelessness. It is possible. Um, other cities in the country are doing it. I want to reduce poverty. That's possible. Other cities in the country are doing it. And I want to establish wet houses. What that means is we have homeless shelters in the city, but I think there's only one that will admit you if you just happen to be um, intoxicated or high. The others tend to turn you away. And other cities are, uh, have wet houses where um, you can go in, you can get a room and be treated even if you're under the influence. And they have professionals there to help you um, deal with coming down from your high and, and hopefully getting off drugs and alcohol. Um, so those are some of the things I want to accomplish because uh, I think uh, it is not always the case that members of our community are heard and their needs are considered when decisions are made that will impact their lives. I want to change that. So this is why I want to be city council member at large. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Dr. Farr. Uh, all right, let's turn to, to Dan Wu. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank you, Progress Kentucky, for having us. Uh, a quick little bio about me. I have lived uh, most of my life here in Lexington. I went to Henry Clay, went to UK. A lot of folks know me from uh, my business, Atomic Ramen. We were out at the summit uh, for some years, uh, and a lot of UK students and faculty will know me from my uh, food establishment, uh, also Atomic Ramen, uh, on campus. Uh, and over the years, while I've been a business uh, person, I've also been very much involved in my community. Um, I don't like the term giving back because it feels very transactional. Um, what I like to say is that I've always stayed connected to the community, doing various forms of advocacy, organizing, fundraising for all kinds of really great uh, nonprofits and organizations here in the city. And why I'm running is, you know, we are a fast growing city that still thinks that we're a small town. And there are elements of that that I really like. I like the fact that Lexington is very relational. It's all about like who you know, and you can get a lot of stuff done through these relationships. Um, but our planning and our um, development has to really catch up to the fact that we are a mid-sized city of over 325,000 people and growing. Um, and we need to really take a, a long, harder look at how we do development. We have to get away from this binary of expanding urban services boundary versus infill development. I mean, it's not an either or and neither is a magic bullet. Um, we have to come up with a more thoughtful, collaborative approach to public safety and crime prevention. And we really have to support our small businesses uh, here in Lexington. I do believe small business owners are the backbone of our local economy. And we've had a rough couple of years and we really could use a lot more support. So those are my three platforms. Uh, and that, this is who I am. And I'm really, really trying to bring a new, fresher voice and perspective to uh, City Hall. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Dan. Uh, and uh, thanks for for keeping it right at 90 seconds. That was like to the T. Very impressive. All right. Uh, Councilmember Brown, thank you so much for join, joining us. A little bit of an intro, who you are and, and why do you want to be uh, want to serve the city at large? All right. Thank you uh, for having me this uh, this evening. I'm um, First District Councilman James Brown. I'm currently 
running for at large. Um, I'm a Lexington native, born and raised here. Uh, transitioned careers back in 2009. I left the automotive industry and started selling real estate full time. And, and during that process, got very involved with the my neighborhood and the community at large, the business community, and also the uh, Fayette County Public Schools. Uh, in 2015, I was appointed um, uh, to the council to represent Lexington's first district. Uh, I had really no um, focus on getting involved with politics, but uh, decided to to up the ante a little bit on on my engagement and, and community involvement, and have uh, learned a lot. Um, I've learned a lot over the years about how our city works, some of our strengths, some of our weaknesses, and hopefully have worked to address some of those challenges that we have as a community. Uh, just last year, I decided to run for a council at large position. Uh, one of the reasons was to give other folks in the district, the first district, the opportunity to, to step up and lead uh, in a way that they haven't had the opportunity before and decided that, you know, I still have a lot to give back to the community and my experience in representing Lexington's first district has prepared me to represent um, and be a advocate for uh, other residents in Lexington Fayette County at large. Um, I think we have a lot of challenges as a community, but we also have a lot of good things going for us. And I think it takes um, fresh ideas, uh, leadership that's willing to listen and, uh, and uh, be open-minded about solutions and, and new possibilities for our community and think that my experience uh, representing the first district has prepared me to, to represent Lexington uh, in an at-large capacity. So uh, uh, that's it. So thank you. Uh, great. Uh, okay. So I want to touch on something that Dan actually mentioned in his opening remarks, uh, this idea of the growth boundary. I know this is a, an issue that, you know, uh, the city council is going to have to make a decision on, right? It's going to be, it's going to be on the agenda uh, for uh, gentlemen. If you're, if you're uh, elected to the city council uh, and you said, it's not binary, Dan, it's not either, or it's not, um, you know, we do infill or we uh, expand the, the growth boundary. I live out in Childsburg, which is, you know, I think you can throw a rock to the growth boundary. Uh, and it's definitely, you know, we're jam packed, walls after wall after wall of you know beige vinyl siding uh i don't know that this is you know i live here but i don't know that that's the the charming neighborhoods of lexington really writ large by ball homes so you know yes i understand that there's the need for more affordable homes in, in lexington uh and developers really like to do <laughs> what ball homes has done out here uh and they have a you know way of making money with it uh but you know what what are your what are your views on how will Lexington grow? Arnold, you had some great you know statistics in there about our growth, uh, but what's the right way to 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 wrestle with this issue uh, if it's not binary or you know if it's not infill versus extending the growth boundary? What do you think about extend, expanding the growth uh, the growth the growth boundary and you know how will you approach this issue uh, if you are uh, elected? And we'll kind of go backwards. So uh, we'll start with with uh, Councilman Brown. Yeah, so 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 I think this issue is probably one of the most important issues in our community is in how we grow in the urban service boundary, and you know I don't think it's so much as you know how do we expand the boundary, but I think there's opportunity to have a conversation about what areas in our community are uh, most appropriate to bring into the urban service boundary. 
And I think that have, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, you know, to be to be frank, the expanding the boundary to create affordable housing is not what would happen. I think, you know, it has proven that, you know, affordable housing is not built in that area. But I think what it could potentially do is create opportunity for more housing, which which create movement in the market. Uh, I think we can be intentional about, you know, if that's the direction that we decide to go as a community, what do those developments need to look like in regards to the different housing choices, the different land that could be used to create jobs and opportunity. And, and then also, uh, we have to continue to focus on infill and redevelopment. I think government has a, uh, has a responsibility to help uh, make development easier in infill and redevelopment. And then also with our affordable housing fund, we're, we're also subsidizing housing, but we're not uh, keeping up with the pace that we're growing as a community. So I think the challenge now is that we need to have a conversation about how we grow as a, as a, as a city and being the hub in central Kentucky, I think we can help better uh, help our contiguous counties decide how they're going to grow. And the real answer is how do we grow as a region and how do we support and build off of each other's um, development strategy to, to benefit all that are involved. So it's, you know, this issue is pretty complicated. It's just not black or white, whether or not we expand or not to expand. But I think we have to have a real intentional focused conversation about how we grow as a community and give everybody in the community uh, the chance to be successful and to stay here if they want to live in Lexington. Got it. Uh, all right. Uh, Arnold, Dr. Farr, how about what's your approach to growth here in Lexington and how would you uh, approach the, the the growth boundary issue? Yeah. Well, first, I want to answer a slightly different question because it's something that always come up when we talk about the boundaries. Right. Um, affordable housing always comes up. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a piece of this whole puzzle. I think we need to have a, a rigorous debate about what affordable housing is. Um, I think um, the way in which we talk about affordable housing and the way in which we define it is very problematic. And we use a number that's sort of given by the federal government and we hang that number as affordable housing. And we really don't look into all the details of what goes into affordability, right? When we're talking about people's lives and their ability to afford, afford housing. I'm um, thinking about the number of members in the family, um, where people work, how they get to and from work, right? Um, all those kinds of things have to be factored in. Uh, and right now, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a house, a home in, in Lexington under $200,000, right? And so I think we need to have a rigorous debate about that. And then uh, once we decide what is really affordable, then we can move on to talk more about these boundaries. And so my opinion regarding the boundaries, is it not, it's not either or, I agree with that. Um, I think we have a lot of, I think over 5,000 acres within um, the urban uh, boundary, urban service boundary, over 5,000 acres that can be developed. I think we need to take a serious look at, at uh, those properties and be creative in thinking about how to use those properties and how to um, use those properties to create homes that are affordable. And I think that's the place to start. But at the rate at which we are growing, I do think that it's inevitable at some point we will have to have a conversation about extending those boundaries. The question is not whether or not we will have to do it. I think down the road we will. The question is how will we do it, right? Um, what is the most effective way to extend those boundaries? And um, 
at what point really are we going to begin begin to extend those boundaries? So that's the the, the my priority um, in terms of uh, what should come first in terms of dealing with that particular issue. Got it. Okay. Uh, I don't want to encourage that kind of like ignore my question and answer your own question, uh, but I, I respect it. Uh, all right. Uh, Dan Wu. Well, what answered it, but I, I had to, that, that piece, that's always a piece of it, affordable housing. No, absolutely. And I think that's right. And, you know, and I think growth is, is a, is a big gnarly issue and the growth boundaries, one piece of it, certainly, as I said before, I live out in Childsburg mm -hmm. and, uh, what's, you know, what, what makes my community affordable, I don't, it's got, you know, we moved out here because it has good school, schools. That was the determination, right? Uh, and now as I live out here, like, oh, how can I get down to the cool brewer I want to go to? Oh, there's one way for me to get there. It's by car. Because mm -hmm. this is the worst planned neighborhood in terms of interacting with the rest of the city. It's nice here. There's little walking trails. You know, there's green space, whatever. But there's nothing in Childsburg, <laughs> you know, like so if you want to go take advantage of the great things that Lexington has to offer, uh, you know, you want to like screw your courage to the sticking point and get on Richmond Road on your bike, you know, mm -hmm. or you get in your car. Right. There's not even a bus okay. line. You got to like you got to I, I pulled up my directions, uh, my transit directions to get me to say like West Six, mm -hmm. get in your car and drive three minutes so you can catch a bus. Like, you know, no, that's not the point of you know, driving to catch the bus. Like, come on, people. Anyway, so there are some challenges. I love yeah. Lexington, but I know that the growth boundary is a part of it, but the growth has to be managed. Uh, and I want to hear Dan's answer as well, because I know you did yeah. touch on it. So you've got some thoughts you want to share with us all. Yeah, so I think we have to back up and look at what is the problem we're trying to solve. And the biggest problem that we have in terms of growth and housing in the city is we have a, an affordable housing crisis and a shortage here. And, and it's kind of two different terms. It's affordable housing and housing affordability. Mm -hmm. uh, both those things need to be resolved. And, uh, and yes, we do need to kind of define or redefine what affordability means. But going out and expanding the urban services boundary has been proven not to put a dent or not even really attempt to put a dent into affordable housing. So to have that conversation at all, we're trying to solve a problem that it's not the same urgent problem that we're having. So the alternative is infill redevelopment, right? It sounds great on paper. We have lots of land that's developable, um, but the reality of it right now is that it's a pain in the butt for developers to try to do infill uh, between the zoning and building regulations and the hoops that they have to go, on, go through. Um, it costs extra money. It costs a lot of extra time. And the way it's set up right now, it's an oppositional relationship between the developers and the neighborhoods. The neighborhoods are not happy about developers coming in and just kind of building what they want. The developers are not happy because they have all this uh, community pushback that sometimes will get their permit requests and things like that zone changes turned down so that's really where we as the city come in we need to be the facilitator the in-between uh between these two competing interests and bring everybody to the table and create a process where we can actually collaborate and work in partnership uh it's been done before in lexington sadly not very often but there are a couple of really great examples of it um, and we need to follow those examples and I, we really need to codify those examples. Um, one of the questions I had asked on one of the on the table sessions, uh, the two Chris's from planning were there and I asked them, um, are developers required 
to get input from neighborhoods before they start building? And they said, no, it is recommended. Well, we all know what, you know, how, how strong recommendations uh, go in, in that kind of process. So we need to take a long, hard look at the processes in which you do these zoning changes, in which the city itself makes zoning changes. There's some um, stuff that's going to be talked about tomorrow night, actually, about Waller Avenue uh, between, I believe, uh, Harrodsburg and Nicholasville. They're planning to rezone and kind of densify that area. So that conversation is very much ongoing. So for me, I think uh, expansion of the USB is an eventuality, um, but it's not a solution right now. What we really need right now is creative and more gutsy solutions to do smarter and better infill redevelopment. All right. Uh, all right. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Then I turn to uh, my co-host, see if they've got a question for you. Uh, I am uh, I am really excited because what we've seen right now is some kind of historic federal investments and in infrastructure, right? So the bipartisan infrastructure law was passed. Uh, that will provide a lot of opportunity for cities uh, to seek funding, right? So a lot of the, the, the money for these different programs will be, you know, kind of dictated, uh, uh, like, so, um, but some of it will be grants, right? So you'll have to actually have your act together as a city to be, uh, seeking the grants for things like EV charging infrastructure uh, or uh, some of the other pro projects and programs in the bipartisan infrastructure law. What, what would your approach be to these kind of federal funds that are kind of historically becoming available? Is this something you've been paying attention to at all? Is this something, you know, you would work with, you know, city council staff or uh, other folks in, in, in management of Lexington to work, to work on, or, is, you know, is, is there anything that you're excited about in this opportunity? I'm excited about it. You know, obviously for me, EV charging is a real uh, important, uh, I don't know if you guys heard it, but the governor uh, claimed that we uh, are the EV battery, battery manufacturing uh, capital of the the country. Uh, in his remarks after um, uh, after the 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 Kentucky Derby, so I don't know if that's actually one hundred percent right, but it's close, right? He's you know, three big EV battery battery manufacturing plants are going to be uh, here in Kentucky. He landed these uh, very big investments from Ford uh, and another company, but. There's very little being done in Kentucky to embrace EVs or to uh, encourage the transition to EVs. We're more than happy to build the batteries here, but I guess you know uh, we're not going to have charging for you necessarily uh, uh, if you want to buy one of these vehicles. So I I am looking for a lot more kind of progressive uh, leadership in this space. I don't know if there's something you guys have thought about, or is it just my hobby horse? I'm the only one that cares. But uh, it does seem like there's a lot of federal money available, uh, and smart cities can uh, can take advantage of it if they get their act together. Uh, and so I want to see if you guys have thought anything about this, these federal opportunities. Uh, and we'll kind of go again back the other way. So, uh, uh, Dan, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think um, just like the ARPA money, I think this federal infrastructure money is a tremendous opportunity. It's, you know, once maybe in a generation kind of opportunity. What I really want to see us do is not just look at what have we been doing and what do we need to fix? We have roads that have potholes. We have sidewalks that need to be fixed. We have other infrastructure, whether it's um, broadband, electrical, you know, sewers, water, all of that stuff. Uh, there's a lot of necessary stuff that's happening, but we absolutely need to take a look at what do we want Lexington to be 10, 20, 40, 50 years from now? And we need to build the groundwork for that. 
So whether it's EV charging stations, whether it's more sidewalks, whether it's more walkable neighborhoods, uh, whether it's protected bike lanes. I mean, to be a cyclist in this town is to take your life into your own hands. Um, and, you know, we have two teenagers at home and we won't let them ride their bikes uh, on any of the major arteries, you know, um, because it's it's too dangerous because the city is built for cars. The developments are built for cars. Uh, the The roads are built for cars. And we need to really diversify that and start thinking about pedestrians, cyclists, and public transit. I think this infrastructure money has the potential for us to really start talking about things like light rail or regional transit. Right now, over half of Lexington's workers live outside of Lexington. So while on the one hand, we're trying to solve the housing problem and trying to get more of our workers to be able to actually live and play here in Lexington, the reality is half of them already don't. So I would love to see us put some real effort into building some more regional partnerships with our surrounding counties and cities and really start thinking about regional transit and something light like rail. Um, so those are all sort of, you know, very forward thinking ideas that we really, really have to look at uh, when we're talking about this kind of opportunity. Awesome. Uh, thank you, uh, Dan. Uh, now, Arnold, same question to you. What, 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 are you, what are your thoughts about kind of these federal funding opportunities and what would you like to see them, uh, them spent uh, in Lexington? Well, I think a city is only as strong as its weakest link. And I think we need to sort of look where um, our citizens are struggling most in the city. Um, again, everybody who knows me knows that that's my priority. Um, who, 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 who in our community is struggling most and not enjoying Lexington as well as someone like me, right? Because they are trying to survive and their life has been reduced to um, just a struggle to survive as opposed to experiencing any kind of overall well-being, right? And so um, again, the issue of uh, affordable housing or housing affordability is a priority in my mind. And I think uh, we should use a lot of that money for that. I think. Um, We've sort of out of the 120 million designated 10 million for that. Uh, it was less than 10 million until um, uh, some of the citizens spoke up and it was moved to 10 million. Uh, I think that's not enough. I think we need more than that. Um, so there's affordable housing, there's uh, infrastructure in terms of uh, some of the poor areas of the city. Um, I think there needs to be more development. Um, north of, of New Circle Road. I've been talking with people out there and they've talked about the fact that um, there's not much out there for them. Uh, when they need to shop or whatnot, they have to drive into the city. And I think uh, that's the proper ground, a perfect ground out there for more um, development. I think we need a more robust public transportation system. Uh, we really need to fix our transportation system. A lot of people I've talked with are very dissatisfied with public transportation. Some of them are in need of public transportation, but it simply doesn't work for them. I was talking with a woman not too long ago who took the bus to work um, and then had to stop because uh, the bus came um, roughly 10 to 15 minutes before she got off from work. So she had to miss that bus and wait for more than an hour for the next bus, right? And that's just unthinkable. And I think we can do a lot better than that. So the housing problem, the poverty issue, and public transportation will be at the top of my list when we receive any resources from the federal government or whomever. 
Great. Great. Thanks, Dr. Farr. All right. Uh, Council Member Brown, uh, same question. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, yeah, I agree that, you know, we have to invest this money in a way that uh, makes travel in all forms more accessible and more beneficial to everybody that lives in Lexington. Um, we have a pavement management plan. Um, I, you really don't think about pavement and the cost and the, the allocations of those funds until you hit a pothole. So I think there's an opportunity for us to actually put a some real long-time investment that's needed in our pavement management plan. We also uh, have the opportunity to invest in, in work with LexTrain in regards to public transportation. I think, you know, making that more accessible, giving more opportunities for folks to use that um, amenity, but then also working to change the perception. I, you know, I heard an idea at the on the table conversations about partnering with Fayette County schools to start to change the mindset about public transportation and, and getting folks to use that as an option, I think that's something that we can use that funding to help uh, change the, the mindset of folks in our community in regards to riding Lextran. And then also improving uh, the pedestrian and, and cyclist uh, mm -hmm. facilities that we have in this community. Um, you know, I think as we look to, to, to create more places and opportunities for us to connect to one another as a community, I think the trail systems that we have um, and the park, the park and the trail systems that we have are set up to give us the maximum opportunity to, to connect as a community. So if we can use those funds in a way that, that we don't uh, create reoccurring costs and actually uh, create and look for opportunities to be more environmentally sustainable, I think that would be what's best for our community to maximize that federal investment, that one-time federal investment that's coming to our community. So. Excellent. I will say this. Uh, no one has said climate change, uh, and that makes me a little bit scared. I've got two young uh, daughters, uh, and you know, climate change is real. It's happening, uh, and we need to make sure that you know, we as a city are both not contributing to it uh, further, uh, doing everything we can to have as green of an impact, uh, a footprint as possible, uh, but also that we are planning for it. Right, because the impacts, you know, as you, if you heard earlier, uh, what did Doug say? You had a 50-50 shot of keeping us uh, within 1.5 degrees of uh, climate change of uh, increased uh, temperature, and that's not good. 50-50 odds are not great. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've seen recently long odds can sometimes pay off, but really important that uh, we have plans to to do the right thing for our uh, for for our community, which is dealing with what's going to happen, which of course means warmer temperatures it means more intense uh, rain activity uh, and also what are we doing to kind of mitigate our our, our impact by having uh, more renewable energy uh, and having uh, opportunities for for that renewable energy be to, to energy to be distributed and again as, as I said before like EVs and making sure that we can move to a cleaner transportation system as well any you know thoughts about that just really quick I know we're going a little bit long but I wanted to give everyone like 30 seconds to talk about how how you're going to center the environment in the work that you do is it something you are considering or is this the first time you're thinking about it uh, and uh, uh, we'll start with uh, with councilmember Brown Thank you, Aaron. I, I think most of us try to stay to the, the question that you ask and not veer too far off. Maybe that's why we didn't go into it. But <laughs> Oh, fine. Oh, yeah. fine. <laughs> just, so, so just recently, the city um, has created a new position and hired a person in that position, and that's an environmental sustainability coordinator. 
And I think that, you know, that's going that's that's pivotal and that's going to be central to the work that we do as elected officials. I think anything that we can do to help reduce our carbon footprint and help the city be an example for not only the, the, the public, but also the private sector, I think could benefit us uh, holistically in regards to um, being more protective of our, of our environment. Uh, right now, there are some ideas and there's some proposals that came into the American Rescue Plan uh, public in input sessions that I think are viable options in regards to looking at new solar opportunities, uh, recycling, um, uh, new cycling, recycling facility here in Fayette County, and then just being more environmentally um, uh, con conscious uh, as we move forward. I know we already have some C&G fleet. I think the opportunity to increase that is there. And I think, um, you know, there's a plan that's already uh, been looked at. I think we need to update it and put the resources and the political uh, will behind it to make a lot of those things happen that need to happen. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Farr, how about you and, and our climate change plans? Yeah, the first thing I would do is um, have the city undergo an environmental justice audit um, and so we, so that we may have a more detailed knowledge of the nature of our problems and the sources of those problems. And that would be the first thing I would do. Also advocate for um, a more robust recycling program. I think uh, we can do better. Um, I would also advocate for um, a robust composting program. Um, and, that, and I think that's very important. We don't really do that, um, but that's, I would advocate for that. Um, I would advocate for a greater use of, of solar energy. Um, and those are sort of the beginnings for me. But yeah, I, I think you're right. This, the environmental crisis uh, um, is serious and uh, we have a lot of work to do in that area. At least it hasn't scored so well as of uh, to date in that area. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Dan. Yeah, I think there is no reason that Lexington can't be a leader in uh, sustainable uh, sustainability and sustainable growth. Um, there's no reason that all Lexington um, city government buildings uh, couldn't run on renewable energy and be green. There's no reason that our entire city's fleet uh, uh, of city government vehicles couldn't be green. Um, and the other point I would make uh, is that our approach to to environmentalism and um, and kind of pushing back climate change has always been like, oh, we're doing all these terrible things to the environment. Now let's do some things to mitigate those um, the, those terrible actions. What I really think we need to do is as we grow, build into our growth and development plans sustainability as a core value, uh, sustainability and equity, because like anything else uh, bad that happens in society, it always affects uh, the least of us first and most. Uh, so if we can start developing and continue to develop and grow as a city with the built-in ideas of walkability, bikeability, uh, tree canopy, uh, sustainability, just the simple fact, you know, you're talking about living out in Charlesburg and how you got to drive to anything. Just the simple fact of if we start developing neighborhoods that are basically built in, you know, with retail, with restaurants, with services, with offices, people can walk to work, bike to work. Um, that in and of itself starts to slow down a lot of those impacts, I think. That's wonderful. All right. Uh, so thank you all three of you for coming on, uh, for giving, you know, the, some of the final hours of your campaigns. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the first phase of the campaigns. I hope all three of you will have a second phase for your campaigns, uh, but appreciate you sharing your views. Uh, and I'm gonna, we've got in the comments, Annabelle has shared your Facebook pages so folks can go and find out more uh, about, you know, about what you're working on, what you'd like to work on more. And maybe, I don't know if you guys are looking for volunteers in the final push, uh, you know, uh, if you are, raise your hand uh, and uh, folks know that they can go uh, and help you out. So, all right, uh, folks uh, really do appreciate it. Good luck uh, on Tuesday and actually tomorrow and Friday and Saturday, and then again on Tuesday. Uh, and hopefully we'll be talking to you guys uh, sometime between now and November. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank yep. Really nice to, to chat with you all. Uh, all right, so I think we're going to throw it now to uh, to my dear friend Kimberly to close us out. We've got a little bit of some action and events calendar that I think people can take advantage of. Uh, there are some other uh, you know campaigns that are looking for volunteers. Our friends from Kentuckians from the Commonwealth had a few opportunities, uh, but uh, thanks for tuning in for our primarily the primary uh, election special. All right, Kimberly, can you take it away? Um, yes, Aaron. I wish you all could see me. I am, man, it's like 90 degrees still outside. <laughs> um, but I do want to give some breaking news, um, a little bit sobering. Uh, right here in Louisville, Kentucky, a firefighter died today in the line of duty after a medical emergency. Sean McAdam, he was only 49 years old, and he suffered a medical emergency while on duty, and uh, he passed away uh, today. And so we we just want to just shout out to all of our uh, police officers and uh, firefighters. Sometimes we take them all for granted, but uh, they work very, very serious jobs. And uh, it's very rare that we hear of a firefighter uh, losing their life in the line of duty. Uh, Dan Wu, James Brown, Arnold Farr, they were all there. Aaron, you did a good job today. I just want to give you a shout out for the forum that you did tonight. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I learned so much and uh, makes me want to come there and vote. Okay. So uh, some of the things that we have going on call to action, uh, there's going to be canvassing on Saturday for the Lexington uh, GOTV. Uh, there you can go to uh, mobilize.us uh, forward slash KFTC forward slash event forward slash 453423. And uh, you can go and help out there. Uh, also, there's going to be a text bank uh, this Monday coming up at 6 p.m. to get those last-minute voters on the phone. And uh, actually, these are going; the uh, links are going to be uh, in the comment section. Uh, so you, you guys in Lexington, please, please show up. These elections are so important. And then in Central Kentucky on Election Day, there's going to be a phone bank all day long. So. Those are some of the things that you guys can get involved in uh, there in Lexington, also in Central Kentucky. And just know that I'm here in Jefferson County doing my part as well. So Progress Kentucky needs you. We are not messing around. We are going to make our state more politically engaged and win more progressive representation. And we do have a plan to do it, but we need your support to make the plan really, really 
work and become a reality. Um, how about manifestation? You know, this is like the trend word. If we keep saying it, we'll put it out into the atmosphere and it will come back of which we ask it. And we need more progressive people. Uh, let us not forget what just happened to us with Roe versus Wade. Okay. I don't know if you know, but um, it has been brought out that the Supreme Court will be voting to get rid of Roe versus Wade. Okay, so otherwise, next week, we are going to be right back here. And it's going to be great because I am manifesting that we will have lots of positive news to tell you about all of these races all over our state, okay? And, uh, you know, the at-large spots on the Lexington City Council, May the 17th, is fast approaching. And we want to continue to help voters sort out their options and learn more about the local election process. So that is why we had uh, tonight Dan Wu on far and James Brown on the show to give you some idea of what's going on. So let me do our disclaimer really quickly here. Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State, organized as the 501c4, is affiliated with the Indivisible Project and the Commonwealth Alliance Voter Engagement, otherwise known as CAVE. Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. Our logo and some graphic content was provided by Couchfire Media. For more information, you can go to couchfiremedia.com. Production tonight was always, she just does so wonderful. Annabelle Nagel, thanks so much for your help in getting the kernels of truth out to the people. Hooray for Annabelle. And I know we've been talking about it like forever and ever and ever and ever, ever, but it's true. It's true. The Jones Report will be coming back this Sunday. Yes. I can't believe it myself. We finally got it together. And our guest, yes, he used to be a co-host, but our guest is going to be Mike Boyer talking about his new book that is an Amazon bestseller. You would love this book. It's like, it's so suspenseful. It's so good. And thank you, Nate, for the theme song. You can find more information and music at natosongs.com. And if you miss our weekly live stream and your friends weren't able to get on tonight, just tell them to go to the Progress Kentucky page. All of our videos are on there for your viewing pleasure. And if you, you know, you're outside working in the yard, you're on your job, you're doing all these type of things that we as people have to do nowadays called multitask, you can always listen to us on all, basically all of the available platforms like your Apple, your Google, your Spotify, and wherever you happen to get your podcast. And as I say, every single week that I'm here, I don't know if the guys are doing it when I'm not here. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, let me know if they're not telling you to do something nice for somebody. And the thing that you can do now until we meet again, take somebody to the polls make a phone call, text, talk to your next door neighbor, put a sign in your yard, canvas, do whatever you can do to save 
our democracy right here in Kentucky. You have that right. You have that power. And until next week, with all of our manifested good news of candidates that won, we'll see you back 7 p.m. next week, Wednesday. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.